consumer prices are doing exactly what we thought they would do. And that's the bad news. This disinflation that we're getting in the consumer price numbers, a few hints of deflation, these are not the, the final stop on the road to a skillfully engineered soft landing by the genius technocrats at the Federal Reserve or the ECB. Instead, it's a waypoint on the road to, first of all, the terminal phase of the supply shock, baby falling prices and recession there. But we also have to keep in mind there's another deflationary factor, which is the interruption of money and credit, the banking crisis that showed up in March and April and has spawned a credit crunch that continues to plague and still in its early stages, but still continues to plague the global economy, not just the US or Europe, but around the rest of it too. And what we got today was the CPI in the United States. We got the CPI in China yesterday, some producer prices out of China, and all of it which shows thoroughly disinflationary consumer prices. And as I said, more than a few hints, growing hints of deflation in consumer prices, not just producer prices. But many people have a very different sense of inflation and what the last couple years have actually been. I'm going to use Mohammed El Arian here as uh, an example because I think his description of the last couple of years is a very fairly conventional and common common view of what's what's happened. In response to today's CPI report in the U.S., he tweeted, "Is it still called tweeted? He exited. I don't know what what would you even call it. He tweeted." These numbers will come as a relief to those who worried that the July data would already reflect price pass-throughs from higher energy and food prices. There are those who believe what Mohammed El Arian believes, that inflation could come back at any minute because it was actually genuine inflation. And it's up to the Federal Reserve to put a stop to it rather than realizing this consumer price bubble is already coming down. And now we've compounded that bubble, the downside of it, with a banking shock. Mohammed Al-Aryan wrote in February, while a few economists have never given up on the transitory inflation thesis, the vast majority already realized last year that it was a regrettable analytical and policy error. That makes the current reemergence of this narrative more perplexing. So what he said and what he continues to believe was that we actually had inflation show up in 2021 and into 2022. And it's been up to the Fed to defeat that inflation, to tamp it down with its rate hikes. And if the Fed would would pull, put its, uh, pull its foot off of the pedal here and start to get weak on its inflation fighting measures, then we are at risk of food and energy prices being passed through into the economy. It's the, the jack-in-the-box theory that Stephen Van Meter talked about on my show a couple days ago. That's, not, that's a narrative. That's not actually consistent with the facts. What we're actually seeing in consumer prices, we're not relieved at all by what's happened in them, what's showing up in them right now, because it is every bit consistent with, yes, transitory consumer price pressures that take time to cycle through in a supply shock prices because a supply shock comes roaring out of the gate and then slowly comes down over a period of several years. Transitory takes time. This wasn't inflation and it's not up to the Fed to fight it. And now that we're seeing the downside of an emerging consumer prices, that leaves us with some less than ideal scenarios moving forward. But first, 
I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. I'm doing my part to help with the disinflation out there. I have an anniversary sale in services, membership services, as well as research subscription services. So services disinflation brought to you by Eurodollar University. Memberships are exclusive content on the Eurodollar system, what it is, what money is, how it's supposed to work, a global reserve currency, what that is, how that's supposed to work, and maybe why it's not working. Research subscriptions, which we go into those same topics, but in a more current frame of reference. A daily briefing that's about everything that happens each and every day. I also do a daily deep dive analysis where, obviously, we dive deeper into all of these money and macro topics. Again, disinflation sale at our Eurodollar University website, eurodollar.university. It's understandable, first of all, why people would consider Muhammad el Arian's theories to be not just credible, but plausible, because that's really what we're taught. That's what we're told. That's what we're, everybody says all over the place. The Fed printed the money. The government printed money. Boom, inflation. Now we have to figure out a way to fight it, because if we don't, it will keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back. When you look at the chart here, what you see instead is, no, this is every bit consistent like a supply shock case where we have an imbalance between demand and supply. In particular, this one was among the worst ones because demand started to rise based on, in large part, that government interference, not the Fed. QE didn't have any impact in it whatsoever, but the transfers from the federal government to people raised demand at a time when supply was severely constrained. And the only way to reconcile those two, two, two very different factors was through prices, which is what happened. But once prices surge, and this is where the supply shock comparisons really are helpful, once prices surge, they don't just come right, come right back down as fast as they went up. In fact, it goes, it's, it's very different on the downside. It takes a long time for that massive intervention, that, that redistribution of economic capacities and resources and activity to, to work itself out. It doesn't just come right down as fast as it goes right up. Transitory takes time. And now that we can see the disinflation side of it, the transitory side of it working out, it's understandable, too, why many people would take this as a good sign. Because if you think disinflation is the final stop here for consumer prices, that would be completely Goldilocks. That's the takeaway we got from places like CNBC today. While it would be fair to describe prices as relatively, still relatively high in places such as shelter and used cars, we are witnessing a rate of change that is encouraging to consumers as well as to Federal Reserve policymakers, says Rick Reeder, Chief Investment Officer of Global Fixed Income at asset management giant BlackRock. Is it really encouraging? It's encouraging certainly to Jay Powell and the FOMC, but again, if you believe this inflation is simply the transition between the supply shock case and what comes after the supply shock that isn't a soft landing, then the disinflation that we got all throughout the numbers, all throughout the world, that's alarming because it simply confirms, it further confirms that case. At the very least, it doesn't rule it out, which is something that we would like to see, but instead we keep the system, the world, the global economy keeps moving in the same direction, month after month after month, slowly, gradually, incrementally, until it's not slow and gradual anymore. The numbers we got, the estimates from the CPI in the United States were thoroughly disinflationary just as a start. Even though the annual rate 
accelerated slightly, that was because of base effects, not actual restarted jack-in-the-box inflation. The month-over-month -month numbers in the seasonally adjusted CPI for the month of July, 0.17%, which was actually a fraction slower than June's 0.18%. In uh, May, it was 0.12%. In April, 0.37%. In March, 0.05%. Over the last five months, the headline CPI has been aggressively disinflationary. And in fact, if you remove April's 0.37%, even more so. That's a 2.2% annual rate over the last five months. And it gets under 1% if you get rid of April. So we're because this is CPI, not the PCE deflator, this is well underneath the Fed's 2% target, which is the PCE deflator. A 2.2% annual rate on the CPI works out to roughly 1.6, 1.7% on the PCE deflator. So we're already over a five-month stretch well under the Fed's target, which sounds like it should be good news. The annual rate, as I said, was 3.3% year over year. That's faster than 3.09% in June, but that's because we're comparing to the CPI in July 2022, where it was actually decreasing a touch. So mostly it was entirely base effects for that acceleration. As I said, the last five months, much, much slower than even we're seeing in the annual rate here. The core rate, remember we've been talking about the core rate, or at least Policymakers have been talking about the core rate in the same way Mohammed El-Aryan is about inflation. Supposedly, the core rate represents some underlying inflationary processes that need to be stamped out by rate hikes. Instead, now for the second month in a row, the core CPI was just 0.16%. That's a massive change from the six months before June, so before this two-month period where the CPI core was running at around roughly 0.4% every month, which you do the math, that's over 5% annual rate. So for two months running now, even the core rate is expressing disinflation and a high degree of disinflation compared to the previous period. That's why the core rate declined to 4.7% year over year compared to 4.86% in June. And the reason it didn't fall faster or further was because this disinflation in the core rate is just now developing. It's only the first, two, the only the latest two months in that annual period. The CPI was disinflationary despite a modest contribution from motor fuel prices. Though in June or excuse me, July, the C, the BLS said that motor fuel was only up 0.2 percent month over month. That came on top of a 0.9 percent month over month change in June. Yeah, there's likely to be more of a motor fuel problem, an increase in uh, August, though motor fuel gasoline prices aren't rising the same level as uh, oil prices are right now. But still, the, there's going to be a positive contribution from energy going forward, which makes the disinflation that we're seeing in July all the more remarkable, as is rent. We continue to have a rent problem, although the, the, and by rent problem, I mean not in the economy, but in the statistics. We've been talking about owner's equivalent rent and the rent imputa imputations all along. There's still an issue, but the rent price number, the rent price index is falling faster than the owner's equivalent rent, which is, which is still coming down. They're moving in the right direction, but almost all of the increase in prices in July was due to these rent calculations. Just market rents 
Those were up 0.42% month over month that compared to 0.46% in June. Year over year, rents are still up 8%, which is the, they're slowing down from where they were a couple months ago. Owner's equivalent rent, that's still sticky because it, it's, it's a lagging effect of the housing price bubble from last year and the year before. Even so, that's slowed down a little bit here to 0.49% month over month in July and rising at a 7.7% annual rate, which is the slowest in uh, over the last four months. Outside of energy and rents, we start getting into some of the other areas that people were concerned about for the jack-in-the-box inflation fight that needed to go on. Services is a big one. You heard a lot about services. As much as the headline CPI rate is disinflationary, the services number is even more disinflationary, believe it or not. We look at the CPI's services less rent that was up at a 0.17% month over month rate in July, like the headline, but that follows the prior five months, which were even more disinflationary and touch deflationary than the headline was. So six months now where the services less rent CPI is rising at a 0.6% annual rate, which tells us that the services economy is no longer able to pass through its rising costs or what's left of its rising costs onto consumers, directly contradicting what Mohammed El Arian was saying. Instead, service providers are more often than not struggling to raise prices at all. Weak demand, and not just in the goods economy with the inventory cycle. Another one that really highlights this deflation, the touch of deflation, not just disinflation in consumer prices, that's the all items index, excluding food, energy, and shelter. So the core rate minus shelter prices. And that was negative for the second straight month in a row, minus 0.6%. So just fractionally negative. It was fractionally negative in June, minus 0.003% after being positive. So that looks like a big change, which is what's one reason why we're seeing the core rate start to disinflate too, because most prices outside of those categories, food, energy, and shelter, they're really struggling. Business is really struggling. The economy is real struggling. We even see it in used cars. The, the, the guy on CNBC mentioned used cars. Well, used cars were down for the second straight month in a row at a pretty hefty 1.3% month over month rate. They're down 5.6% year over year. We even see new car prices come down, even though new car prices had been one of the biggest factor, contributing factors to the supply shock consumer price bubble. New car prices, according to the CPI, had fallen for the fourth consecutive month in July too, down fractionally, but still. New car prices are no longer contributing. They're starting to contribute instead to disinflation with a little bit of deflation here. What about overseas? So U.S. consumer prices are thoroughly disinflationary, even more disinflationary than they were last month and the month before. We're getting a little more, a few more hints of deflation in them, falling prices across the consumer bucket in the U.S. What about China? China reported its CPI and PPI yesterday, which, not surprisingly, deflation and disinflation there too, because China's economy is in the same state as the rest of the world, which is a reflection of everything that's going on, not just in one place or another, but all of it together, globally synchronized disinflation, which again, that's the bad news. 
Their CPI for the month of July actually increased 0.2%, so a low increase in July, which is actually the good news in everything here because before then they had five straight months of negative CPI, monthly numbers. So here we have one at least that was positive, but even so, it wasn't enough to keep China's CPI out of a negative on a year-over-year -year comparison. China's CPI was down 0.3% year-over-year, which is an exceptionally rare occurrence. Not a good sign there either. It had only happened three times, once in 2020, I think it was November 2020, and two, in, two times in early 2021. Outside of those three times, you have to go back to, I think it's the nine months in 2009 as the only other times you're going to see CPIs in China negative on a year-over-year -year basis. So not a good look for China there, which is probably why the Chinese government, among the other reasons why the Chinese government has, uh, has, has clamped down on criticism of the economy and even purportedly banned the use of the term deflation on media and social media. I haven't confirmed that, but I've seen that referred in a couple places. The PPI, as we've talked about many times before, that continues to be negative. It was down 0.2%. That's the fourth straight negative month in July. Six of the last eight, where the, the other two that weren't negative were zero. So eight straight months of at least deflation and zero price changes in the PPI. It was down 4.4% year over year, which was better than the 5.4% in June only because of a base effect there. July 2022, PPI prices were down larger than they were in July 2023. Seeing the disinflation and deflation in consumer prices now for what they really are. And it's not jack-in-the-box reigniting inflation. That's not what's going on here. We're seeing the supply shock case combined with the credit crunch leaving us with a deflationary recession potential that the data more and more confirms as we go along here. So the CPIs, as disinflationary as, as disinflationary as they are, that's the bad news. If you want to see more about the jack-in-the-box theory of inflation, check out the video below me. As always, thank you very much for joining me and a huge thank you to Eurodollar University subscribers and a shout out to all our Eurodollar University members, some of whom are scrolling right next to me here. Until next time, take care.